Welcome to the workshop. I'm Pat. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm your moderator for this session. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. Thank you. I was asked to make an announcement. Anybody that uh, was unable to get a breakfast ticket, they dug up a few more. We have six breakfast tickets available that you can get out there, and they said there, there's a slight possibility that there may be a couple of more dinner tickets. So if you want them, go out there and, and uh, get them as soon as possible. They won't last very long. And with that said, we will move right along. This format, the format for this session follows three speakers for 20 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers, finishing up with 15 minutes of open pitches. This session is being taped, so you need to sign the tape release form you are share after for your sharing. Uh, Sandy's going to be volunteering to get you to sign in, so when it comes to that portion, just line up and sign in as you come up here so we don't have to delay. Uh, please, just a reminder, we've all been out to a meal. Turn off your cell phones or anything that's going to make any noise in here. Okay, and photographs are asking no photographs to be taken unless you have permission, direct permission from that person in advance. The topic of this uh, workshop is Love Will Keep Us Together, Relationships and Sexuality. And our first speaker will be Dominic. Hi, my name is Dominic, Impossible Reader. Hi, uh, I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to be abstinent. That was a bit quick. I thought we were going to read the steps or something. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Um, so anyway, like I said, my name is Dalek, I'm a cultural reader, and I've, I've been abstinent in this program for over eight years. When I got here, I was um, 333 pounds, or E, my scale called it, and, uh, and then I got, uh, you know, and my top weight before, I had been, before that I had been 352 pounds, that's the, the highest I weighed myself at. And, you know, I'm a little bit over 200 pounds now, and I've been this weight for a long time. And uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you a little bit about my story before we start on the, the tough topic here. But uh, my God, my, I grew up, I'm, I'm from Ireland, and I grew up there, and I grew up in an alcoholic home. And I grew up somewhere around the time I'm like, I don't know when I became aware, like seven, eight, nine, I was a fat kid. You know what I mean? And uh, at that point, I got... It was explained to me that I was fat and that wasn't good and it was my fault. And, and whether that was the intent of it, that's what I got and that's what I heard. And immediately I developed a lot of shame, guilt, and remorse about that, pretty much. You know, and it pretty much started that cycle of thinking where it was like, what I just ate, what I'm about to eat, or how fat I am. You know, and I had those thoughts my, before coming away. I pretty much had those thoughts constantly. And, um, you know, I'm a true compulsive overeater, you know, and I have... Uh, so... Pretty much by the time I'm like 11, definitely 10, 11, 12, I was into dieting. And 
the dieting thing was, I mean, I, I don't know, it's hard to say success. When I stopped eating, I lost weight, and then, like, I'd lose weight, and I'd keep it off for, like, some number of minutes, and then I'd start to gain it back up again, you know? And, you know, and I'd diet it off, like, 100 pounds, and 50 pounds, and 30 pounds, and 20 pounds, and 1 pound, you know, many, many times, you know? And it's, you know, and it's just disheartening when you lose 100 pounds and you gain it back. It's, you know, and you do it in a diet. And so, I mean, I was pretty aware. I never really thought in any of that time how I, um, how I would, um, I, I never really had a plan. You know what I mean? I didn't know what was going to happen when I stopped dieting. I just knew I wasn't going to do it forever, and I didn't know. So what happened, um, and how that keys into what, you know, and then I, problems with other stuff, you know, drugs and alcohol and all of that stuff. But, I mean, I'm a, I'm a compulsive overeater, you know what I mean, first and foremost. I mean, I've been sat out on the floor drunk going, God, I'm fat, you know what I mean? And, uh, and like, there was nothing out about that. And, they, and I ate before, during, and after, and he, you know, and I sat around waiting for drug dealers eating Snickers bars, and, you know what I mean? I, I got, you know, so, like, all this stuff, and um, it's, it doesn't matter, you know, like, and the other thing about food, food for me was automatic. Like, I never thought that, I never really planned binges, or I never, like, even when I was a kid, I would just happen to be at a, I grew up in the country, I'd be at our neighbor's house when they ate, I'd be at our other neighbor's house when they ate, and then I'd be at my house when they ate. And, like, luckily they staggered, and it wasn't like I was a devious little kid who came up with this plan. That's just, I just did that automatically. And later on, I went from, like, corner store to corner store, or 7-Eleven to 7-Eleven or whatever. So, um... Pretty early on, you know, when you start to get, like, um, relation, I mean, relationships and sexuality, I don't know how they're, like, in, you know, I, you grow up with this, like, so I got this, this is my, my premise coming into this, my plan for making this work is, I grew up in a totally Catholic country where it was, like, recently I just realized, like, my uh, pretty prudish, you know, um, like, especially my grandmother, you know, like, very, very conservative ideas about sex and stuff. I never really thought about that, but I, until recently. And then I do that, and then I'm fat, and somehow very early on I got it. If I wasn't fat, girls would like me. And as long as I'm fat, the reason they didn't like me or didn't do whatever I wanted them to do was because I was fat. And, you know, in some cases when you're like 100 pounds overweight, it's not that that isn't always true, but it's not the only reason, you know what I mean? There's a hundred other reasons, you know. And what it developed really quickly into is that, like, self-centeredness. You know what I mean? The whole, you know, and the, the, self, the idea of self-centeredness in this disease was the idea that, like, it's about me. This person doesn't like me because it's me. This, you know, that's, that was really how I developed that at a very early age, you know. And I got, I went through um, college and, you know, up and down with weight, and I died off weight. And, like, the thing was, when I'd lose weight, I'd be more freaked out by relationships, you know. I remember, like... I'd be more reserved, more pull away. And, you know, and it was always like in this fantasy how, like, people didn't like me, people didn't this, or I couldn't do this. And there's always this idea then that following on the, ha the thing is that if I could ever figure out this relationship stuff and actually get a girlfriend or whatever, it would be all rosy. Like, that was it. It would fix me, essentially, is my thought, you know. This is how I would, you know. And, um, you know, there was brief moments when I did, like, pull that off. And it didn't fix me, and you know, and when it, and then when it ended, I really went into a spiral. You know, I remember like I had, I had this girlfriend for about eight hours or something in college once. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like 72 or something, right? 
And eventually she copped to having another boyfriend, which I was totally fine with for some reason. <laughs> and uh, I remember, like, afterwards I thought, but, uh, you know, a few weeks later we came to this agreement, you know, which I didn't really agree to. <laughs> and uh, she said, I remember I just went back in my room, my dorm, in, you know, in the dorm room in college, right, and closed the curtains. And I don't, I don't remember anything about that period except I remember – Someone called me like a few weeks later to go do something, at, you know, something in college. And I remember I, I put this shirt on that I hadn't had on for like three weeks. And I remember thinking, it's tight. I couldn't, you know, like I had no conscious about my eating. I wasn't conscious about it. I wasn't like I'm going to binge every day or anything. I just put on that shirt and I had been like, the shirt was tight. You know what I mean? Like, not the kind of laundry tight. It was tight. You know? <laughs> and the thing is, I'm like, um, I just... I couldn't, you know, and I mean, I, then I spent a couple of years moping around that, about that relationship, thinking like this and calling and doing all this kind of stuff. And eventually, um, I moved over to Southern California, and at that point, my kind of story with drugs and alcohol kind of took off. And basically, I found speed, and I'm thinking this is the best thing ever. You don't have to eat anymore, or ever. And uh, I don't have to be fat. But, you know, the the whole... Long story short is I became a fat drug addict at one point, and then I was just, I got in recovery for that, and then I was just fat, and like I couldn't stop eating, you know, and I had huge, huge judgment about that, and that was like probably the most uncomfortable I was ever about my, how I was in my body, how I was in myself, and how I felt, you know, before that, I mean, as long as I kept away from like, you know, women that I was attracted to, and as long as anybody didn't talk about relationships, I was fine. I could just pretend like everything was okay in the world. But then, uh, but the minute that came around, I just felt like really uncomfortable. And then I started to come to OA, and I came for about six months, and I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't abstinent, but I was working the steps, and, you know, and eventually, I wasn't working the steps. Actually, I wanted a sponsor who didn't work the steps. Didn't have a sponsor, but lost 100 pounds, you know, and I couldn't find that. And eventually I got a sponsor and I, you know, I started working the steps and all that. And then, like, I did all the thing and I lost weight and I got this and I, you know, my life got a lot better. And I was absent for about three years in the program. And it's funny, like, I didn't, I think at one time I dated somebody for a few months, you know, and uh, you kind of, you know, it was like one of those program things where you date your friends <laughs> because it's very safe and it's a kind of a transition thing. But after three years, I was, like, sitting there and I was just, like, came to the realization, hey, I'm not asking anybody out. You know, like I had this thing feeling like I need to be in a relationship and I need, but I wasn't actually doing anything. And believe me, I thought a lot about it. And the other thing is I felt ashamed about that. Like I felt a lot of shame. Like I felt like, you know, it seems crazy now, but I mean like everybody wants to be in a relationship. You know, most people, there are probably some who don't, but most people want to. And I felt ashamed because I had that desire, you know, like, why, why you, you know what I mean? I didn't feel like I deserved it. I didn't feel like I was worth it. And I, and the worst thing is I felt that if every, anybody knew, they would scoff or laugh or shame or whatever. You know, and that was that deep grain deep shame I had growing up. So after, so eventually, eventually, um, you know, I dated a, a tiny bit. And then I got a hostage, you know. And I wasn't, you know, and it wasn't like I woke up one morning and said, I'm going to get a hostage. I mean, I was doing the best I could. I was working my program. I was doing the best I could. But these fears, you know, like, these fears are so ingrained and relationships are so complicated. And, you know, the truth is, I was 
damaged. I don't know if damaged because I don't want to put blame. The way things happened, I grew up with like a lot of scars, and I'm very fearful about relationships, very fearful about intimacy, and very. So you know, I got I got in a relationship which was very mimicked. You know, somebody who was like not sure they wanted to be in a relationship with me for about three years, and I was really sure I wanted to be in a relationship with them, and it was just that little dance. You know what I mean? You know, they would pull away, and I'd chase after them, and they would pull away, and I would, and then it, you know, it was this back and forth. And, it, and, and that's not really to take the other person's inventory because, you know, I showed up every single day. You know what I mean? I didn't, you know, like in the hearts of hearts, there was times when I glossed over the honesty. And, you know, that wasn't, I mean, I really wanted to be honest, but I wasn't capable because the fear was too deep. Because the fear, the fear about this stuff is huge, you know. And that fear of like, oh, it's just about abandonment, you know, like it was like part of it related to the fact that like my mom didn't give me the, what I needed as a kid or, you know, like all this psycho, but, <laughs> you know, the reason I, did, I don't, I, not that that isn't important, but, you know, the, like it says in the big book, you know, self-knowledge avails us nothing. And my knowledge about my condition didn't help me in any way. <laughs> it helped me a little bit in the sense that I knew I needed to get help, but it didn't cure it in any way. And, like, I knew what was going on, but it didn't help me. And eventually that relationship ended, and that was really painful, you know. And I, I did all the right stuff. We went to couples counseling. We did this, that, and the other. You know, I did everything. But at the end of it, um, you know, it just didn't work out. You know what I mean? I couldn't make it work. No matter, you know, if it was a force of will, I couldn't make it work. The other thing, too, is somebody said, is you better talk about sex. Because people don't, uh, you know, because it's shameful, right? I'm filled with shame. So I said, okay, I'll talk about sex. Like, when I got in that relationship, I mean... I had been in some kind of close encounters, in the, you know, in college and when I took lots of drugs and all that. But you know what I mean? The truth was I'd be like, I, had, I was really ashamed of my body and I was really ashamed and afraid to be near people. And being intimate was really, really difficult. I remember once, and this was like, I was in this house and we were doing all these drugs and every time I'd go in the bathroom, I'd come out, this scrub had less clothes on. And I'd be like more and more freaked out, you know what I mean? But the thing is, when I got in a relationship, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'm in a relationship, you know, but I thought, like, sex was, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't know what was going to happen, you know what I mean? And whatever I thought up here, you know, and however interested I was in it, it just, things didn't work the way, you know what I mean, they were supposed to. And, you know, I got a lot of fear about that, and I thought, and you know what, I did a lot of work around that, and it really just came down to, like, you know, getting to love and accept myself was really the key, you know what I mean, I think. And everything really started, you know what I mean, like, the, the, the more secure I feel in a relationship, the more connected and the more, um, how would I say, the more honest and right I, I feel it is, it doesn't matter, and the more, the less, like, baggage that we're dragging along, you know, sex is just kind of comes along for the ride. It's easy, and it's not, um, it's, you know, it, it's just not an issue. It's not an issue. And, you know, and when all that baggage is there, Sex is an issue. It's just, you know, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, it's, or else it's like really exciting and it's distracting, you know what I mean? But they, it gets a rightness when the more right I am. So after that relationship ended that I was in for about three or four years, I was in this place of just a real kind of bottom. I was in a real kind of bottom around relationships and I was like afraid to do anything. And I remember I used to go to this coffee shop every morning and this girl was like, you know, like this every day. And she started giving me free coffee, and she was like, <laughs> and I was just like staring at the floor. I didn't say anything, you know what I mean? I was like, what? 
And then I kind of copped on, hey, this girl's kind of giving me a lot of attention here. And she was like more than friendly. And, you know, and eventually, I mean, and then I got afraid and I was like, I couldn't. I was like, started to mumble. I couldn't ask her out or I couldn't, you know, all of this stuff. And eventually, eventually, after a while, I um, asked her out and uh, like, she started dating somebody the week before or something. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's all just details. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> Wait, there's a good side to this. Because again, um, it helped me with a realization is there's lots, of, there's lots of relationships out there. And the deal is, what it did, though, is it got me into a place where I got really, like, to kind of a bottom. And I'm like, fuck this. You know, screw it. Just like the same place I got when I would food when I got here. A children 33 pounds couldn't stop eating for a single day. And I was like, screw it, I'll work the bloody program. And I got to the same thing with this thing. I got it, like, so I got out the seventh step, you know, and I got out my character defects. And, like, you know what, I'm just afraid of relationships. I'm afraid of women. I'm afraid of this. So what I started to do on a daily basis, like, I, I did lots of tensives, lots of tensive writing. I, on a daily basis, like on the step seven on the OA 12 and 12, it tells you what to do with your steps. It, you know, it says we get them before, if we get in our knees, we ask. So I got that, and I did that every day. And what I asked God, like, I didn't ask God, give me a girlfriend, give me this, give me, you know, because I, I said, I just want to love and accept myself as I am today. And I, the other thing I got was about the defects was before, for some reason, I never prayed for a week of abstinence. You know, I pray every day for my abstinence. And, but what I did was I just asked my higher power, love and accept myself for today and have the defects removed for today. Because for some reason, I always thought like the defects would just go away. You know, I'd do the six step and they go away. I never taught about them as a day at a time. And like the next thing I went on a day at a time and I, um, it's amazing, you know, and it wasn't like it's all smooth sailing after that. There were days when I was angry. There were days when I was upset. Was, but you know, what slowly started to happen is I started to take a lot of action around dating. You know what I mean? And, you know, I was really mad because, like, three people suggested I do try some online dating. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> but I was like, damn it. And, you know, I got to that bottom point where I, was, I did it. You know what I mean? And I showed up on these dates and I met people and I did all that stuff. And I was like, and, you know, I didn't judge it. I'm like, whatever. You know, I mean, I just did. It just was the right thing for me. And, uh, you know, and eventually, and the good thing is I want to get to the, so eventually, you know, you met some people. Everybody's really nice. Everybody's really friendly. And, you know, and it was nice. And it was a great experience to go on a lot of dates and meet a lot of people and do stuff. And then eventually you met somebody who was like, you know, started to date and started to have a relationship. And then you know, it didn't have, you know, because I was in a different place, very much centered and very much, you know, in a place that I've never been in before, in the sense of loving and accept myself as I am. And like... The relationship, and I wasn't finding, trying to find somebody who was leaving me all the time. You know, I wanted somebody, and I got somebody who was like, I got to meet somebody who was like showing up and going, I'm here, I'm ready, <laughs> I'm available, you know, and. Uh, Excuse me, did you make an announcement? Anyone who parked in a, a smart and final parking lot, they're towing all the cars with us. Okay. Thank you. Did you hear that? They're towing the cars from the smart and final parking lot if you parked in there. Okay. So, um,. What happened was the, uh, but I was able to show up, but then what I found really quickly in that was like, here's a relationship, I, I didn't, I no longer needed it to, uh, to fix me. You know, I had that need always that like a relationship was going to fix me, things. but it wasn't, you know what I mean? And you know, and, and in some ways it, it was kind of less exciting for that reason. 
Because like for on the surface, like the relationship is all the way it's supposed to be. You know, if somebody shows up, it's normal. But I'm not driven by any kind of deep needs or like I'm not driven. It's not going to fix me. And it's amazing. Um, and that was that's a challenge in itself. And that's kind of where I'm at today is just dealing with that because I'm going like, you know, I still have those deep-seated fears and the fear of intimacy. And you know, this, my pattern. You know, I'm 39 years old. My pattern is to run for the hills and find a hundred thousand reasons why this isn't the one or this isn't, or else to find somebody that isn't the one and try and make them the one. So, you know, and I mean, and it's, it's, it's black and white. I've been to enough therapy, I've written enough 10 steps, I have enough conversations with my sponsor and friends to know this is clear, you know what I mean? We see this picture. And I just realized, like, the thing that makes the most difference on a daily basis is to treat this on a spiritual basis, you know. I believe my higher power. You know, nobody's ever told me what my higher power is. They just, I just said... I need one I need to be loving. And that focus on loving and accepting myself and taking care of myself and treating myself right gives me the ability to show up in a relationship, you know. And and then the other thing I need to do is stop judging, be aware of my shame, my guilt, and my whatever baggage I bring along. And, you know, that's mine. I need to go do work on it, you know what I mean? And then I need to come back into the relationship. Because you can't work that out with another person. Thanks. You can't work that out with another person, you know, because maybe you can. I can't. <laughs> I need to. But then I can have, like, open conversation and an open relationship where I can feel. And all I can say, that's a big transition. That's just my experience with this. I don't, I wouldn't say that <laughs> any kind of expert on it. I just think that the other, the last thing I'll say is when I came here, if you ask me, I remember I wrote this in my sponsorship. I, ne- I would say I never had a relationship or I never had relationships. And I actually did inventory, and I had. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they just weren't, they didn't fit my model of what they should have been. They're just, and that's what real relationships are. <laughs> They're the ones we live in and we, we have. They're not the kind of ideal whatever I was thinking I would need it. So I'm just um, really grateful for this program because as a compulsive reader, a person who was fat, a person who was ashamed of their body, and who, I couldn't function in a relationship like I do today without having worked the steps of this program, without having abstinence, without having a sponsor, without having a higher power mostly, you know what I mean? Because the more I put my trust in that, the easier it is, you know, the less fearful I am. Because, I mean, ultimately all my relational problems, are, for me, tend to come down to my fear, you know, my fear of what's happening. So, really, um, thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks. Basket basket is going around, so please uh, put your questions in there. Our next speaker is going to be Shirley. She asked me to read this prior to her coming up, and it's on Relationships and Sexuality, Voices of Recovery, page 171. I look at my past in order to understand myself and in order to let go of the past. That was from For Today, page 235. So I guess Voices of Recovery. As a compulsive overeater, I tend to be an all-or-nothing kind of person. I have found it best to simplify my life, eliminating much clutter as possible. My life is constantly recycling process. However, in the case of relationships and past experiences, it is impossible to erase or ignore those feelings and memories. I also tend to want to run and go for quick fix. By practicing the spiritual principles of the program, and utilizing the tools of recovery, I, conform, I confront my demons and work through my greatest fears. The process of uncovering, discovering, and discarding is an ongoing adventure. 
detaching myself from what I believe happened, accepting what is true, and staying in the present moment serves to remind me that only this moment matters. Experience is what happens to me, but what matters most is what I do with that experience. Surely. Hi, I'm Shirley, a real recovering compulsive overeater. I'm from Sunnyvale, from the Silicon Valley Inner Group, and um, thanks. <laughs> um, just to briefly uh, qualify, um, I walked into the rooms of um, OA, it'll be 14 years uh, on the 18th of this month, and I currently uh, celebrated 12 years of back-to-back absence since my last relapse. And I'm also maintaining a current uh, weight release of 110 pounds. My all-time high weight was 240 pounds. And there are actually some pictures going around. And then there's um, a story um, published by uh, Lifeline about my recovery from relapse. Actually, uh, Sherry, who was in charge of uh, coordinating all the workshop speakers, um, she came to me early on and said, okay, what do you want to speak on? And um, I looked at the list and I said, okay, the one that will absolutely stretch me is relationships and sexuality. Okay. So, anyway. But, anyway, I qualify for all the four workshops in this room. So, briefly sum up my OA story. Um, all you have to do is look at step two. So I came in July of 1992 looking for the quick fix, and also because my doctor told me to come here. That was why I came. And in October of 93, for approximately six months, that's the period which I consider to be my relapse, um, I did. I got cocky and complacent. And the thing about denial well, at least for me, is you don't really know that you're in it when you're there. <laughs> um, and also the acronym for uh, denial is don't even know when I'm lying. And it didn't happen until I was almost uh, in the program for about seven years. I was at the World Service Business Conference, and there was a moment of clarity that I got when I realized I was just like everyone else in that room, that I was a compulsive overeater. That's also what it says at the end of step one in our OA 12 and 12. And basically what it says is until you can move from your head to your heart, you truly have not taken step one. So uh, now I'm just going to kind of... um, see what I can do with um, the two topics, Um, and it's really hard to cover um, both topics. Um, My husband leaned over my uh, shoulder one night um, to see what I was doing at the computer, and I explained to him um, I had the topic of relationships and sexuality. Okay, so this is what he said. He said, oh, talk about sex. I go, no, you don't understand. Um, You know, because I could. I could spend a lot of time about sex stuff. Okay. And it would be really funny. But the thing of it is, 
where's the recovery? Okay. So, okay, this is how I'm defining relationships. It's how I relate and interact to myself, God, and others. And what I've learned about relationships is I have a relationship with everything and everyone. Whether I choose to be in relationship with that person, whether I know who you are, you know, I have a relationship. Um, the other thing is, if you've ever skipped rocks, and you know how there's those little ripples, um, in the very center ring, that's where I see um, God or my higher power. That's the center. And, and then in the next ring is um, people like my husband, my daughters, my sponsor, my sponsorees. And then from the outer ring, there are other people, and the further out you go, um, the less I really know who you really are. And a committed relationship. Okay. Um, my, in my current marriage, um, we'll be celebrating um, 16 years um, later this year. And when I mention relationships to my husband, okay, this is what he said. Rela relationship. Oh, that's such hard work. <laughs> So, um, and what I've noticed um, about Mark and myself is that when we're unable to do a one-on-one -on -one where we're not talking about kids, about schedule, about whatever, but we're really talking about personal stuff, you know, like our dreams, our hopes, you know, um, what our plans are, um, if we're not doing that, then what I notice is it carries over into our sexual intimacy. And if I could give you a word that would help you, um, what I realized was in real estate, their word is location. Okay. In relationships, the word is communication. You know, um, and the other place where I... Um, I really get to practice um, committed relationships is with the tool of sponsorship. And um, what happens is when something isn't working in that relationship, we have to do what I call the talk. You know, and um, a lot of my sponsors, you know, they always have this fear that I'm going to fire them. And I said, no, I'm not going to fire you. I don't terminate people. I said, before we can ever go down there, I said, we have to have the talk, <laughs> you know, because it's a two-way street. It needs to work for both of us. And what happens is I will initiate the, conver the conversation, and I need to be willing to take the risk. And I only take the risk if I'm invested in it. And in my first marriage, we were married for over 21 years. And what I realized why it failed was because my husband was trying to control me. Not only was he trying to control me, he was trying to control my weight. And he was dictating when it was appropriate for us to be intimate. He also had a weight requirement. I could not exceed 140 pounds. And after I exceeded 140 Later on, my weight just 
just um, went way up. He was totally disgusted with me and did not even want to be seen with me. He wouldn't hold hands with me, you know, but legally we were married. Um, so the last 11 years, we actually practiced celibacy. And actually what happened in, in that relationship was I was tired of losing weight and trying to please him, you know, because I was always trying to get down to the weight that he wanted me at. You know, because I would say, okay, now I'm there. And then he'd find another reason why I wasn't good enough. And finally, you know, I came to the conclusion, okay, I, I didn't have, I was a virgin when I first got married back in 69. So I had no experience with, you know, with what we were doing, whether or not that was what you were supposed to do. Um, but I, finally, I said, well, I don't really think this is all that great. You know, and and so what I discovered was um, food and masturbating were more fun to me. Uh, and the other thing that I also learned is once a relationship has changed or the trust has been broken, you can never go back. You can never go back to the way it was. Okay. You need to make a decision of whether you're going to stay or if you're going to go. If you're willing to stay, then you need to be willing to work on it and to move forward. And um, the reading that Pat did to me, uh, did for me, uh, Voices of Recovery, uh, the detaching myself from what I believe. Um, I'm also um, a bipolar, and there was a period of time. Um, when that condition was, was really acting up. And in, initially, I wanted to refuse all medical help. And um, I had another sponsor, um, and she gave me uh, a children's book to read, which helped me. And, and I remember um, we were, my husband and I and our daughter, um, we were at the beach. And this is what he said to me. He goes, maybe what you say is true about what you remember and maybe it's not he said but your mother is dead and if you continue the guys in the white coats are going to come away are going to come and take you away and they may never let you out he says or you can be with us the ones who love you and i had to make a decision and I remember the slogan that we have, which is, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is the present, that's why we call it a gift. And I was at choice, so I made the decision to be in present moment and not to dwell on the past, because the past was not serving me. You know, and um, sexuality. For me, sexuality is about how I feel about myself and my body. Um, my husband, bless his heart, he has seen me and has loved me no matter how big or small I have been. Um, when he first proposed and we got married, I was not in 12-step um, recovery, you know, and one is, yeah, I think I've already talked about this, about when you're invested in a committed relationship to make a decision um, about staying. 
that you are, uh, for me, it was about willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. As a result of our commitment, our life together, including our sexual, our sexual intimacy, it just gets better and better as time goes on. And for us, you know, there's a scale of 1 to 10. Well, we're actually off the charts of 10. And I can't tell you what that number is because it changes all the time. Anyway, he he really loves it when I um, bring up um, little tidbits of um, information um, about um, things that I read. And so one time um, I went up to him and I talked to him about our uh, sexual frequency. And I said, you know, there's this article and it says that if you don't do it at least um, twice a week, um, you're going to um, be in a no-sex cycle. You know, so I wanted to remind him, you know, that we didn't wa we didn't want to get caught there, you know. <laughs> and um, one time um, I I brought up um, the issue um, with him about um, my orgasms, you know, because I didn't really think, you know, they were up to par, you know. <laughs> so, so I said to him, you know, I thought something was off. You know, and so he says to me, well, he says, you know, I think it could be one of two things. It could be either emotional or physical. I said, well, you know, for me, I think it's emotional. He says, yeah, for me, I think it's physical. <laughs> so um, unlike um, a couple of my sponsorees um, who are single, you know, they're still out there looking for Mr. Wright, you know, and and I'm so grateful that, you know, I don't have to be um, doing any of that, you know. Because um, so, I hear about that, you know, about the guy doesn't kiss right, doesn't make enough money, can't find my G-spot, you know, stuff like that. Um, but what I can say about my husband is he's definitely skilled in all these areas. And he, he even knows how to make my um, abstinent meals. So, you know, what more could a compulsive overeater possibly ask for, right? Um, today, I'm 57, and uh, once upon a time, I actually dreaded uh, turning 50. And what I want to tell you, what I discovered, is there's actually a sexual freedom when you hit your 50s. So, you know, if you think it's great in your 30s and 40s, just wait till you get to your 50s. <laughs> And the other thing, you know, about my husband, he loves my body, the way my skin feels, you know, the way I look, and me. Um, sometimes, you know, he, he likes to, like, uh, fondle um, certain parts of my body. And and sometimes I say, don't, you know, maybe if I should just cut it off and just give it to you, you know, so you could just play with it. Um, but he goes, no, it's not quite the same, you know. In our um, wedding vows, um, he, he actually wrote this for us. Um, and so what I said to him was, Mark, I commit my love to you. All that is known to be me, mine, all that is known to be me, all that I am. For us, the phrase, all that I am, says it all. This is based on my experience working the program of Overeaters Anonymous, 12 Steps, 12 Traditions, and eight tools of recovery, um, practicing the spiritual principles, surrendering to a power greater than myself, working with a professional, being in alignment with my spouse, and honoring who I am. 
Also, you know, if you need um, another tool to help you with your relationships, a perfect place is to take inventory of your relationships with the traditions because there's a spiritual principle attached um, to the traditions as well as the steps. We made a promise that divorce was not an out for us because we believe that no matter what, love will keep us together. Thank you. And winding us up today is Sandy. Sandy, and I'm a grateful, very grateful, compulsive overeater. I'm going to thank both speakers for giving me time to sit here and listen to them. I'm scared to death. I've never said that speaking before, but uh, God says I'm going to be fine, so I trust I am. I'm so happy to see all of you here. I've never been to a relationships and sexuality workshop before in my life, so go figure that I'm standing up here. I didn't know so many of you cared about relationships and sexuality. Um, I'm going to qualify to begin with. I've been in program a little over five years. I have a picture going around. Um, I used to bring a bunch of pictures. No ego involved at all with me. I had to have tons from childhood to whatever. Now I think it's important to have two pictures. One shows what I was like, smiling like crazy, but if you look closely, there's not a light in the eyes at all. And the other picture is uh, celebrating my 40th wedding anniversary. And I thought I'd look tips looking cool. I have my favorite color on. I also have it on today. Um, but the most important part of that day was, other than the fact that it was a surprise 40th anniversary party, where people flew in from out of town, was that the people that flew in from out of town wanted to be there. And that is why I agreed to speak on relationships today. When I heard the word sexuality, I almost said no. I'm almost 63 years old. I think I forgot what the word meant. Um, I think it's important that I qualify that I am an incest survivor. That will also say a lot about why I didn't want to speak on sexuality. Um, my top weight is 386 pounds. God has relieved somewhere over 140 pounds. I do not know how much God has released. God thanks you. I know that I was a size 36, 38, depending on whether it stretched or not. I'm a size 18 or 20 now, depending on whether it stretches or not. Or depending on whether it's from Nordstrom's or Walmart. And yes, I like Nordstrom's. Now that I don't have kids, I can shop there. Now, now that I don't have kids at home. And my grandkids are out of state. So I save money that way. Um, relationships. A relationship got me to this program. A relationship that I wanted to keep, even though she pissed the hell out. Oh, sorry, I'm on tape. Even though she bugged the hell out of me. Um, it's my sister. She's another 12-step program. She spent five years crying on my couch every single day of that time she was in program. I couldn't figure out why she went to a 12-step program if all she did was cry every day. Of course, I came from a family who says, if you cry, I'll give you something to cry about. So 
so I didn't understand why crying was cathartic. But I've been in program five years and learned that there's a different reason to cry than to just bawl your eyes out. There's only one way to get around feelings, and that's to go through feelings. This program has saved my life. She wanted me here because when she came over and sat on my floor with her face two inches from mine and said, you're going to go to program, I know you're not going to follow it, I don't believe a word you're about to tell me, but you're going to program and I'm never going to speak to you again, I had just had three strokes. I had just gotten home from the hospital. I was taking 18 medications a day at that time, and I was going to die. And I didn't want her out of my life. I don't know why. She was a pain in my butt. (laughs) But I didn't want her out of my life. So that relationship I wanted to keep. All of my relationships were going down the tubes. Um, I talked to my sponsor about speaking here today. I talked to her just before I came in here today. I looked down on my fingers. I am a ring person. I also have different colors on every nail in my hand. Because I came from a black and white world. Because that's all I saw was black and white. And I don't believe in that anymore today. I have a life because of this program. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I see are my hands. Because I have carpal tunnel and I wear wrist braces. So I'm taking them off so it's the first thing I see. When I see these colors, I smile. And when I smile, my day starts right. So I wear these colors, and I probably will wear them as long as my male lady doesn't get too upset about having to do this. I pay her for that, so she shouldn't, but that's the old me talking. No no resentment there, mind you. So all of these relationships were really bad. So when I called my sponsor, and I happened to be talking to her, and I looked down at the rings on my fingers, and it dawned on me, that these rings could definitely symbolize the different relationships with the different people and entities in my life. Obviously, this one represents the 44 years of marriage that we just celebrated in June. I got married on my husband's birthday. I'm not a dummy. He has not forgotten an anniversary. (laughs) I don't think anybody in this room is dumb. We took a lot of time and trouble to figure out how we could eat and not gain weight. The one on this finger, oh, and by the way, these middle fingers on these hands have not been used in three years on the freeway. (laughs) That's because, first of all, first thing my brain said was, you're going to get shot if you keep using them. But more importantly, God has removed certain things from me most of the time. I'm not perfect. There is a God. It's not me. And I finally learned that. So this particular ring right here, when I got to program, I believe that this center thing right here on this ring, for those of you who can see it, was me bullying my way into my family. I believe now that this is my family surrounding me. Because of this program, those relationships have been mended and strengthened, and I have a bond with my family today. Nobody runs when I come. That relationship is very, very strong. In talking about my husband, and this this does have sexuality in this title, and I have to touch on that, as much as I don't want to. I trolled the streets of Long Beach looking for a husband. Since I came from that household where the abuse took place, and since I come from an alcoholic raging household, I knew the only way to get out of that household was to marry out of it. So I went looking for that husband. 
And I found that husband. We just celebrated 44 years of marriage. That's because I have a God who knew what I needed. I Trust me, I did nothing to deserve this man. He has put up with me for 44 years. He loves me. God knew he was there. And he happened to put him at a car hop place on Pacific Coast Highway in the city of Long Beach at the right time, at the right place. And um, as much as he aggravates me on a daily basis, <laughs> acceptance is the key to my program and the answer to all of my problems. And I have learned with God's help and God's grace and God's dignity that that is the answer for me, that I must accept. And that's because of this program. It's because I'm still breathing today because of this program. Now, this particular ring with all the little, I wish I could say they were diamond clusters. They're not. Wally World and Walmart is my place. I believe this represents every one of you in this room and all of the acquaintances. And I believe Shirley put it so brilliantly with her ring analogy, more outer rings that she sees. Everyone I come into contact with are the relationships that I get to work on. Things come up in my life every single day that I don't like and I don't approve of. And Dr. Paul, who wrote the acceptance chapter in the big book, also wrote a couple other books that are AA approved, so I'm going to assume they're OA approved. I won't mention the titles, so therefore I can't get in too much trouble, I don't think. But one of them... Um, had something to do with you can't make me angry. Oh, I bought that book right away. Everything made me angry when I got here. And he pointed out very clearly in there that he had a hard time with acceptance because he thought if he accepted, he approved. And that was me. I did not approve of almost everything, so I wasn't about to accept. And when I realized that's what he was talking about and I didn't have to approve or like and still I could accept is when things started turning around for me in this program. When I could start buying into instead of acting as if I believe. So all of the things that I can deal with on a daily basis, I don't have to like. I just have to apply the principles of the program. And that's what I started doing when I didn't like it in the beginning. So that ring there. Now, this ring right here is what I like. looked at today, and I thought, that's me and God, hand in hand. And the little, again, not real, stone in the middle, I believe, is the faith and the trust. Now, I'm having a hard time with the trust, which is why I believe that I'm still carrying the weight that's keeping me from normal body weight after five years in program. Now, I'm half size, dress size, obviously not half size. But I'm half of the clothing size that I used to be. So God has been kind enough to keep me alive with that amount of weight loss. Because doctors don't yell at me anymore. Doctor, I weigh backwards on a scale. Because there's only one number on this earth that's ever going to make me happy, and that's birth weight. <laughs> there isn't another number I'm going to like that scale throw out of me. And God forbid you give me a talking scale. I don't want to scale to talk at me at all, ever. And I've got a friend who has one of those. I don't know how she tolerates that. I mean, unless it sings opera at me and tells me I'm beautiful, it, it better not talk. That's all there is to it. 
So, I mean, with, with, this, with this ring and, and my trust issues, or lack of them at times, it's finally, finally, I've had a breakthrough with that. And I've changed my food plan and I'm losing some more. And I, I thank God with all my heart that he finally let me get past the denial that I kept saying, God's going to take it off when God's ready to take it off. Now, that's a prime example of denial. Because I just plain wasn't ready. And what came out in my writing when I finally started doing some writing about this issue was, I am the, I am, I hate this word, but I am the perfect dieter. I always was before I got here. I've lost seven, eight hundred pounds and always in hundred pound chunks or more in my past before OA. And I kept it off at least two minutes before it started going back on. I heard somebody say already at this convention that the problem was they didn't diet to lose weight. They dieted to get to a weight so they could start eating again. And that was me. Get down to that size so I could brag about it, that big ego back out there again, so I could start eating again and put it right back on is what happened. And I have been afraid that that was going to happen in a way. And because of my ego, God forbid, I could not get down to a normal body weight and put it back on again. So subconsciously, I've been holding on to the rest of this weight. Because for five, almost five years, I've got this huge weight loss. And I look hip slick and cool. That's what my subconscious has been doing to me. And I finally, finally, finally realized this. So now the food plan's changed. The weight's starting to come off again. I don't know how fast it's going to come off. It's going to depend on my degree of willingness to give up those extra carbs. But it's going to happen when it happens. At least now I know what I've been doing. So that's my honesty for today, folks. In front of all these people. Thank you, God. You know. That's, that's relationships. That's relationships with you. That's honesty that this program has given me. I didn't know I was a dishonest person. Every time I didn't tell the whole truth, it's because I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I didn't want to look bad. I didn't want my sister to yell at me. I didn't want my husband to feel bad. I justified, rationalized everything. Perfect example, like the big book says, selfish and self-centered and self-seeking and egotistical. And, well, let's see. I came up with 42 character defects when I did my four-step. I am terminally unique, don't you know? Had to have more than anybody else I ever heard share in a meeting. Thank you. Okay. And the last one, when I looked down at my hand, is I love butterflies. I never liked butterflies till I got here. But I found out from somebody in this program early on that butterflies were kind of our symbol. Because we metamorphosize. Is that a word? Oh, good. <laughs> got one right. We kind of turn, you know, we just kind of blossom. And, and when I heard that, I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. What am I going to blossom into? I wasn't quite sure of that. But I thought I knew who I was. And I found out I didn't know anything about who I was. I'd been stuffing every feeling but anger. Never could have convinced me I had a fearful bone on my body. But I was afraid of everything I couldn't control. Didn't know I couldn't control anything. Thought I was controlling everything. You know, controlled myself right at 386 pounds. You know? So, I believe that this is my relationship with me. And with God's help, that relationship 
will get to a level where I'm going to become aware much quicker when I'm not doing God's will. My sponsors are always asking me, how do you, why are you so sure most of the time that it's not your will, that it's God's will? I only have one little test I give myself. If what I'm trying to decide between is going to benefit Sandy, you bet it ain't God's will. If the end result is going to help somebody else, then I think God's talking to me. And if it isn't that clear cut, I better be calling everybody I can think of to call and run it by them. Because my thoughts got me here. My way got me to 386 pounds. And my way got my sister saying, I'm going to end this relationship unless you change. I don't want that to happen again. I don't want it to happen to any one of you. I love you all. I don't know most of you. And it doesn't matter. You are me. And you keep coming to these rooms so I have a place to go and I don't die. Thank you. We need the ask it basket. Does anyone know what the ask it basket is? This time we're going to draw questions from the ask it basket for the next 15 minutes. Okay, it says, uh, Shirley, you say you have been absent 12 years, and yet your pictures show uh, weight gain after your initial weight loss. Can you explain what you mean by absent? Okay, um, for me, there's a difference between my weight, um, my food plan, my plan of eating, and my absence. Um, my abstinence, um, I set boundaries in which um, makes it safe for me uh, to be around food because uh, what I realized was diets don't work. And the reason why diets don't work is because there are rules that were set up by somebody else that was guaranteed to make me fail. Okay. Um, as far as I know, there's no uh, weight criteria to be in program. There's also no weight criteria in order to claim abstinence. It says, how supportive have your spouse and loved ones been with your OA recovery? Do you have anything else to add to that? Anybody? I'm still Sandy and I'm still compulsive. Um, this one is very, very easy for me. But since I come from a place of near death, my husband, every time I tell him, oh, I'm going to hit an extra meeting tonight or somebody asked me to come share at a meeting, always the same answer from him. Anything you have to do, honey. Anything you have to do. 
the only time I've ever seen him be anything but 100% supportive is if we're watching a movie and the phone rings and he goes, tell him we're not home. I have yet to learn how to answer the phone and say I'm not home. But he always responds with, you know, I'm only kidding. And I said, how about I tell him I'm in the middle of a movie and we'll call him back. He goes, okay. Other than that, anything. But I'm also blessed with a man who will eat absolutely anything. And I am blessed with being a hugely picky eater. So I can bring anything into the house that he adores and I hate, and I'm fine. question is what would you what do you do when you feel um, so ashamed of yourself even at your right body weight it seems impossible someone would love you forever I think that's what it says. I am um, I mean the thing is a, that's a that's something that happens and I think that the way I deal with it is I just I mean it's about me you know I mean it's about me I don't I surround myself with people like in in terms of relationships and friends and all that I surround myself with people who are um, supportive you know I've had enough external abuse in my life, you know, that I, I have zero tolerance. Just like for the foods I don't eat, I have zero tolerance, and I have zero tolerance for abuse in my life. So when I am ashamed, i got to look at that for me and what to think. Because, you know, like it says in the big book, where the kind of spirit of the 12th step is like, I have a part in that, you know. And, it's, and the other thing is I don't judge it. It's just part of me, and I just got to heal from it, you know. And like everything else, the healing comes from my higher power. You know, I write about it, pray about it. Usually with something that I'm ashamed of, the first thing is I'd, I pray about it. And I say the really short prayer, like, help. And, you know, kind of my higher power. And then I say it a little bit, gets a, bit, a little bit longer. Eventually I'll find myself talking to my sponsor about it. And eventually I'll be doing writing. And eventually I'll do step work. And eventually it'll be changed. You know, like that's what happens. And the key is, I mean, my whole life I was always projected out on the thing as if, if I could coordinate and get everybody outside to love me, then I could love myself. And the change from working the steps and working the thing was like it came from inside. When I really love and accept myself as I am today and really did that, it's funny, the outside people, they reacted to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? They treated me like that. So, but that isn't how my, my mind is. I'm, I still have that part of my mind and shame is attached to that where I want you approval, you know. And, it never works, just like thinking about food doesn't work, you know, I just need to work a program. <laughs> okay. okay, here we go with this question. Okay, it says, my spouse told me last week that he is leaving our marriage. How can I not blame my weight for this rejection. Um, a lot of thoughts are running through my mind um, in response to the person who wrote this. Okay. The first thing is, um, as a compulsive overeater, when something goes wrong, um, I want to think it's my fault. And my husband said to me, he goes, you know what? It's not always about you. Um, the other thing is, you know, when one door closes, 
then the window opens. And if it was me, I would do a lot of writing, um, surrender it, uh, put it in the God can, talk to my sponsor. But, you know, this is a real growth opportunity. I mean, I know it's painful. There's going to be some grieving, some loss. But in the end, if you hang in there, the results will be absolutely amazing. And it may be the best thing that could happen to you because um, that's what happened in my first marriage. You know, I told my husband that enough was enough, that we could not continue to do what we were doing because we had adopted a daughter. She was five years old. She came up to me, and she said to me, Mommy, how come you don't kiss Daddy anymore? And I was putting off this thing about um, divorce because I thought, well, I just need to wait until she finishes kindergarten, and then, and then I will do it. But I realized, okay, if a child could see what was going on between her two parents, um, obviously, I'm a bad actress, or I just need to take care of this, you know. Um, and it was the best possible thing, because now she has two wonderful extended families that she never would have had had we stayed together. So, anyway, I hope that helps. I'd like to respond also to that um, coming from a 44-year marriage. I asked, feeling that my husband couldn't possibly love me all those years weighing that. Even though I come from the other side that I was the one always trying to control everything, I would have moments when I would feel so terribly guilty that he was seen with me that large. And the one thing I learned in this program early on from a kind and loving sponsor was Sandy, you have to learn that there's a God and it's not you. So you have no control over anything. You have no control over the way someone else thinks. You cannot control the way someone else acts. You cannot control the way someone else behaves. If your husband had chose to leave you and it was regarding your weight, you would have no control over it. Because of what someone else does and what their actions are, it is not your fault. And you can never go to negative self-talk. That only destroys you. It has no effect on how the other person acts or feels. I don't know if this helps the person who wrote that, but the serenity prayer has been a lifesaver to me in every situation in my program. Grant me to, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And that's everything but my perceptions. Everything but my perceptions. I hope that helps. Thank you. Are there any other questions that were circulating that didn't make it up? Hearing none, we'll open it up for sharing. Please line up over here. Sandy will 
help you sign in. So just sign, line up, sign in, and come on up here and speak. Three minutes. Our timer over here. Denise, is it Denise? Are you Denise? Donna. I can't read from that far away. Okay. Donna's our timer, and she will sign you. I'm Rebecca. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm going to talk about sex. And um, I was the one who told somebody to talk about sex. I love sex. And I wanted that on tape. Um, and um, and I um, am not in a, I'm having, I'm not in like a long-term relationship. And so I have to deal with like, talking about it and my body issues with lots of different people, which is really kind of scary. And, um, and, and I've been um, like 40 pounds more than I am now, and I've still loved sex. And, um, and every man that I've been with has loved my body, and that's been like a really amazing awakening for me. And there's still that moment, like when you have to get up and walk naked across the room, you know, and that's always the hardest thing to do. It's like, which way will my thighs look the best, you know? And like, oh, shit, did I not leave a robe right there? You know, and, and the other thing, you know, I love lingerie, and I wear it. And that's like another thing, because then it's like I'm calling attention to myself. And... um and I feel like that's a really big gift of the program because um, I talk about this stuff, you know, and I love to talk about sex. And, um, and I actually do this in my profession, too, because um, I'm a healthcare provider, and I have to ask young women about sex all the time. And, um, and that's really cool. It helps me to be really open. Sometimes I can hide behind that because I can, like, get all clinical about it. And so sometimes in my relationships, I'm like, bleh, 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 you know, and I ask it like it's a clinical thing, and they're like, <laughs> you know, I'm like sort of like asking how I interview patients, and they're sort of, where's the timer? Oh, one minute. So, um, and that's kind of cool, because I can like, you know, pretend that I'm, you know, scientific about it, when really I'm just trying to get the gory details. And, um, but it's such a gift of the program that I can even feel good about my body. And it's, you know, and, um, and it's totally, my body is not perfect, you know. It's, it's not, you know, like I came in and I thought the only perfect body, birth weight would be sort of weird, but like size two, you know. And it's totally not. I have like this really curvy body and there's, flabby parts and there's thighs and you know like the walking across the room thing you know and like walking with my back to them you know that part too it's kind of like I walk like you know like that and um and I'm just really grateful that I can get up here and be like to a room full of people and be like I love sex so um I said it a couple times on tape so anyway that's it time's up
<laughs> My name is Anita. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I think, you know, everybody, in my mind, I came to this uh, workshop with a preconceived notion. Basically, I came for some good stories. And, um, but you know what it reminded me of is really these could, this could be two topics because um, I am, whether I'm in a relationship or not, I'm a sexual being. I mean, God made me, gave me my sexuality, my mind, my body, my emotions, all of that. Um, and in terms of my recovery and, and um, the topic that all brings us together is that when I was in the food, I could never, I never had to deal with sexuality being mine. I never had to deal with my sexuality because I had this relationship with food that kept me from having any relationship with myself. I didn't know me. I didn't know what was going on inside this body because I was too concerned about what was happening in the refrigerator or what was going to happen, you know, wherever I was going to get the food. And so in that sense, um, getting that distance and getting a balanced relationship with food allows me then to have a relationship with myself to look at who I am in every area of my life and really explore that and be happy about that and rejoice in that. But in terms of relationships, um, you know how people will start looking like their spouse. You'll sometimes notice that couples will start looking alike, or if they live with their dog, they start looking like their dog, or whatever it is. And we do, I mean, I just think that we begin to become a little bit like that other person that we love. Um, I know with my partner and I, in some ways, we're so extremely different, but the longer we're together, you know, her deliberate thought and intention balances out my spontaneous, you know, off-the-handle kind of thing. And, and there comes this moderation. And when I think about when I was in the disease um, and living actively in that, I had I would love to have told you that all those years of my life, my primary relationship was with, thank you, with God um, as a person of faith or because I'm very committed to family to tell you that my primary relationships were as a daughter and as a sibling and all this kind of stuff. But really, I had one primary relationship, and that was with the food. And, you know, I'm just saying this out loud as it's come to me because it's, I've been thinking about it. So this is me talking through what I'll probably just write about later on tonight. But, but you know, I, I wonder how much of the way I related in my relationships with people was affected by the way that I had related with food and food had related to me. Because I was demanding and I was controlling and I required, I could never get enough from people. And that's really how I was with food. I could never get enough. The food controlled me. And so I think when I was in relationships with people, because my primary relationship controlled me, I had to try to control people in those relationships. And so with abstinence, thank you, with abstinence, my relationship now, because of abstinence, means that I have a balanced relationship with food, but my primary relationship has become a relationship with God and that, that conscious contact. And that's so exciting to me because if that's the case, then perhaps every relationship from this point out can become more mimicking God and how God relates to people than how food I related to food. So perhaps there's a chance for me to be a, a compassionate person, a forgiving person, a loving person, a kind person, a patient person. And so that's, that's exciting for me. Thanks.
I'm Christina. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I want to say thank you to all the speakers today. I got a lot out of the shares. And um, it's a little scary being up in front of a room of everybody, but I got it before I thought about it. Um, and I really just wanted to get up here and, and say, because I feel an, a tremendous amount of gratitude to this program for giving me the opportunity to have relationships. When I came into this program, I was a person who um, I, I hadn't had a date in years. I didn't have any friends. I had terrible relationships with everybody in my family. I was full of self-hatred and fear and just, I was completely isolated. And, um, and like, that is so different from who I am today. And next week I get to celebrate my first wedding anniversary. And um, it gets me kind of emotional because I really actually learned how to do that in these rooms. I found, I like, I kind of honed in on a few people who had good abstinence and good programs and had um, boyfriends or husbands or spouses or something, then they seemed like they had a good relationship and just called them up. You know, I had my sponsor and a few other people who I would just call them up and talk to them about relationships because I had no clue. Like, I didn't know when to go to my then boyfriend and tell him that I was pissed off and when I needed to write about it. I didn't know when I needed to, you know, spend time with him and when I needed to spend time by myself. I didn't know how to be, like, there was all this stuff I, I really never learned because I was just shut down and I was in the food. And I learned it in these rooms. And, you know, it's amazing what I've learned. And I have a really wonderful, healthy relationship. And I'm so fucking, sorry, grateful for that. <laughs> and, uh, and I've also learned how to feel a lot more comfortable in my body. And in the beginning, I really had to act as if, like, act as if what this man said about me was true, that I was sexy and beautiful and he wanted to see me naked and touch me. Like, I had to pretend that I believed that too so I could get naked and be touched and do all that stuff without going like, what, you know, how can I cover my stomach? You know, like all that crap. And, um, and I really learned how to just, um, just act as if I was okay in exactly the body that I have. And I've had a tremendous amount of release of the, the body obsession as a result of working this program, and um, and I'm really grateful for that. So thank you all for being here. This is a, a great convention, and thanks for everybody who's doing service. Hi, everybody. My name is Lynn. I'm a real compulsive overeater. It's really good to be here, and thank you also to our speakers. It's a great session. And, and, you know, when I was out there eating and doing other stuff, I remember I would end up in these relationships, you know, end up, because things just happened to me. And I would think, you know, what am I doing here? And definitely trying to fix that person and make them husband material, because that's the way I was raised, that you met a man and then you got married and then you had sex, you know. But I always kind of threw myself in at first and then thought, got to make them husband material. And, you know, I look back even before recovery and thought, you know, I ended up in relationships that should have been one-night stands. And, um... And that, you know, it's painful to me, you know. And then later in recovery, I realized that, you know, I really was afraid not to do the things that I did around sex because if people really knew me and I really spoke my mind of what Lynn was comfortable with, then, you know, they wouldn't really want me. And I'm really grateful today. I've been married for 12 years to the man of my dreams. You know, I met my husband and I thought, I know subconsciously, this is the guy that's going to fix me. You know, I'm not going to be filling the hole with, with all the food and all the stuff. And, 
And uh, what I found out is, you know, he waited till the miracle happened, you know, and, and he stuck with me as I gained and lost and gained and lost. And, and finally, you know, another thing brought me to my knees. And, and that's how I got to Overeaters Anonymous. And, and his suggestion, you know, maybe there's a 12-step program around food. And I'm like, shut up. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, so I knew, you know, I knew. It was like, oh, my gosh, I'd have to actually put the food down. And, um, but in terms of, of being in that relationship and, and getting into recovery and knowing that first year, you know, I'm not the best idea to get in a relationship. And I'm like, awesome, I'm already married. You know, I don't need to worry about that. But what I did have to worry about or what was the struggle for me was having had a, an intimate relationship where I had not been with my husband in, in, thank you, in a case that I wasn't loaded on food. You know, I had gone, you know, into those things always under the influence of something. And so today to be able to be present for my husband, you know, in or, you know, any relationship that I have, really be present for them and be part of the relationship and not just looking what I can get, you know, fill me up, make me better, love me enough that I can love myself. And, and today, you know, I have a higher power that fills me up. And I know when I'm starting to look at what can this person make me feel, how can I get, you know, I know. It's like, okay, I need to do some writing. I need to do some praying. I need to work on Lynn. Um, but I am really grateful because, you know, my higher power brought me to my relationships. And those people were just waiting for me all the time. My parents, my, you know, siblings, they were loving and waiting for me to show up for them. So thank you guys for showing me how to do it one day at a time. I'm Teresa Manrock, Tick and Bulimic. Um, I really didn't want to get up here today, so I got up here today. And, um, you know, alcohol brought me to my knees 21 years ago. And food brought me to my knees. Um, I've been absent for 12 years. I've actually been in OA for coming up on 19, I guess. But um, right now, our relationship has taken me to the, I think, my knees the worst of anything ever has, I think. Um, I was married for 17 years to an active alcoholic and um, divorced him nine years ago. And just have had, uh, you know, I, I don't want to have a relationship with food anymore. That's what I had before. And um, I am really grateful to a three-year relapse with food from 90 to 93 that I think is keeping me out of the food today. Um, I'm just in a lot of painful uh, feelings right now a lot of the time. And, um, you know, I'm just grateful that alcohol and food just aren't an option right now because I know it's easier, softer way being abstinent and feeling these feelings. But, um, you know, I just feel like I'm in this Hit and I can see the sun up there, but I don't know how to crawl out and um, feel a lot of depression, a lot of sadness, a lot of um, fear. And so anyway, um, I just, I'm, I'm from Salt Lake City. My friend and I came over for this. I lived in Southern Cal for a few years, really liked it. I don't see anybody here, though, from Southern Cal that I recognize from I lived there from 1995, I guess. But anyway, um, you know, I, I guess the biggest thing I was taught in 12-step programs is just to keep asking for help, you know. And that's what I keep doing. I've had a lot of angels in my life, you know, going through this. Um, oh, anyway, the reason I'm in H-E-double-L right now is um, I was engaged, and he broke it off six months ago. And um, when I got divorced, Nine years ago, to the active alcoholic, you know, there was infidelity, and it was like my trust was just kind of blown out of the water. And 
Now this guy, I thought I really trusted. Uh, it was a long distance relationship. I'll never do that again. But it wasn't over internet or anything. It was set up by somebody. It was just weird. But anyway, um, I really trusted him, you know, and I felt safe and all that. And then he just amputated like. And I guess, you know, I guess I'm just asking for help. And I just have a request because this is my family. I know no matter where I go, you know, whatever. But this person approached me after a meeting, you know, a few months ago. And she said, well, why don't you try SLIA? And I didn't know if anybody here has ever done that, have any experience with it or whatever. But I'm just all over the place. I don't know. I don't know how to recover from this. I am, I am worse than on my knees. I mean, I'm willing to do anything to feel better. And I can't go through another relationship breakup like this. I just can't. I won't live through it. But anyway, if any of you do have any experience with SLA, I would really appreciate it if you would see me after this workshop. Thanks. Uh, I'm Kim, and I'm a compulsive eater, and I'm scared because <laughs> um, because I, I want to share something that is is. Uh, I mean, thank God for anonymity. You're all sworn to secrecy and silence, and yes, I know I'm being taped, and it's so stupid of me to do that. But, <laughs> but I, I just feel a need to speak out occasionally about um, about sexuality in our culture and how it messes us women up frequently <laughs> in in being told we we you know try to please men, and and how that translated in my personal experience was that I got so confused, you know, that, that I didn't know what an orgasm was, basically. And I was I was afraid of that word frigid, you know. And, uh, you, know, I mean, I, you know, so then I started thinking, well, maybe this was it and that was it and faking it and all the rest of it. And all of that dishonesty, you know, was uh, very devastating to me personally, my spiritual life and all the rest of it. And, and it took a lot of help for me to get, get through that. Um, and I think part of why I really turned to food was, you know, just as another safety way to deal with this confusion and, and the things that I was not wanting to deal with. So anyway, um, there there is recovery from that. Uh, I, I joined a <laughs> There are pre-orgasmic groups. We're all pre-orgasmic. <laughs> you haven't been here yet. And I guess the modern generation doesn't, doesn't you know, have that problem, hopefully. But I mean, who knows? <laughs> Anyway, uh, and, and there's things you can do to uh, explore your own sexuality that um, is, is uh, honest and true and, and worthwhile and uh, part of recovery, too. Thanks. My name is Vicki. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Vicki. It's really nice to be up here. I'm, I'm Sandy's co-Orange County cohort. Um, and as soon as I realized this um, uh, this meeting was about um, sexuality, and I came in here and you guys were talking about food, I thought, okay, well, now I've made a connection. <laughs> and um, I have to tell you that I went to a meeting in Serenity Sunday in Beverly Hills, long, long, long time ago, and I got up to pitch, and I said, and it just came from nowhere, I said, I have to tell you that I um, ended a very serious relationship earlier this week, and I'm really sad about it. And everyone moaned, and I said, I had to break up with the blueberry scone at Starbucks. <laughs> and then, you know, I grieved that for a little while, and then I found something to take its place. I went to the blueberry muffin, and then I had to break up with that. 
And um, there's been, um, <laughs> I remember someone um, in Orange County um, had gone out to dinner with her husband and he made the mistake of uh, trying to stick his fork in her cheesecake something and she literally picked up her fork and, and it was his hand, it was not the cheesecake. I thought, wow, people are really crazy about this food thing, you know, and I got really uncomfortable and I remembered, you know, I almost killed my husband once because out of a bowl of popcorn, I don't know, this big, he wanted one kernel. And I like, you know, put my arms around it like I was protecting a cub or something. And that was way before program, but now I can look back on it and say, oh my God, I did such ridiculous things. And now, and when I first got to program, I said to my, my husband and my daughter, who was five at the time, don't touch my food, okay? And now five years later, um, when we go out and I'm, um, I'm, you know, done with my meal and there's some left over and I offer it to my daughter, she's like, no, I don't want to touch your food. <laughs> so I see how that insanity um, goes on. Thanks for letting me share. Hi, I'm Laura, a gratefully recovering food addict. Hey, everybody. I just want to thank the speakers for being so brave to talk about this topic. Thank you so much. And I wasn't going to come up at first because I thought my my usual character, my biggest character defect is, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm hard on myself. I don't have recovery around those things. How could I talk about that? And I thought that's exactly why I want to talk about it because, um, I am recovering from it, and it's a lie. My my character defect of being hard on myself, um, I realized, I used to think that just hurt me, so I thought it wasn't really an important character defect because it was only hurting me, but actually it hurts everybody. <laughs> Not only is it annoying, but it, it spills out. The shame thing that I kept hearing about, it spills out. And um, so just, just FYI, okay, so I'm, one minute. Um, I came into program, not at my heaviest, but my heaviest was probably 180 or 200 pounds, and I'm 107.5, and it's six and a half years of abstinence back-to-back, and that's, um, that's because I'm working my butt off and because of my higher power, and I wasn't going to come. I was supposed to be the speaker for the 90-day meeting at 8.30 in the morning. I wasn't really willing to come here at 8.30 in the morning because I wasn't, I don't know. And my old sponsor said, you know, she was coming today for the newcomer, and it was sort of like a neat thing to think, wow, why don't I just come so somebody else might see it works. What a concept. But I just want to say that after six and a half years, I'm starting to really um, now be ready. I'm, I'm in a relationship, and it's starting. I'm really beginning to, like, uh, that God gave me sexuality, you know, and so, and then I'm an incest survivor, and um, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, what I'm saying is I'm healing. This program started with the food, but I'm healing everything, so with God. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this session. Thank you again to our speakers, Dominic, Shirley, and Sandy. It's been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful talk. Please stand and join hands as we close this meeting with the OA promise, I put my hand in yours.
moment of silence for those still suffering both in and out of these rooms. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for a power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Keep coming back. It works. It works.